Right, so I want to talk to you this morning um, about God's amazing grace. His amazing, amazing grace. And uh, I have this little thing at the back, Galatians, the study of our freedom. And that's really what I would like to continue talking to you about as we think about um, what we celebrate at Christmas. Uh, Jesus is the gospel. The gospel is Jesus. God is the gospel. Uh, we celebrate at this time of the year the coming of Jesus who humbled himself and became a man like us. And this is the good news that we celebrate. This is, the, this is what we, we spend time this year thinking about. And so really what I want to continue speaking to you about this morning is the freedom that you enjoy in Jesus and the freedom that I enjoy in Jesus. And we're going to have a look at the second half of chapter 1 this morning in terms of Paul and how he got saved. And really Paul's salvation is a picture of what the gospel is. Paul's salvation is a picture of the good news that you and I are saved by faith in Jesus and nothing else, just in believing in Jesus. And so last time I preached a couple of weeks ago, I tried to encourage you to think about the gospel and think about the message of the gospel and how you respond to that personally in your own life. Um, how's that shown in your life? And I want to introduce another thing this morning as we look at the second half of chapter 1. Does an understanding of the gospel, of what, what the gospel really is, does that produce an anger in you at false gospels? And I don't mean a violence in you, all right? <laughs> I'm not encouraging people to be angry and violent. I, I'm just saying, when you think about the gospel and the truth of what the gospel is, does it cause in you a concern for false gospels and for the preaching and living of false gospels in the world. Because I, I hope that it does. Because we are called as Christians to live in freedom ourselves and to bring other people into freedom. And that means that we live free of legalism on the one hand. And it means on the other, we live free of licentiousness. That's just living for ourselves and indulging ourselves and our sinful nature. We are called to live free in the gospel. And it's a deep concern of mine as someone uh, who, who's involved in helping to lead the body of Christ, this, this part of the body of Christ, that we, we give ourselves wholeheartedly to bringing people into gospel freedom. We are free in Jesus. Every area of our lives, we are free in Christ. And don't let Christian uh, legalists put anything on you. And we're going to look at that today as well. And there are all sorts of things that people add to the gospel. Now, my problem is that I, I do like to be liked. I don't want to fight with people. <laughs> but actually, there are some things that are worth fighting for. And one of the things that is worth fighting for is the freedom that Christ has bought for us. Amen. This is worth fighting for. And so I called my message a couple of weeks ago. Wasn't Andy great last week? Uh, such, a, such a blessing, that man. And, and we're going to have him back as often as we can. And um, if you didn't uh, get, uh, weren't here last week, please catch up on the podcast. And our podcast is up and running again, all right? So look for the little, little uh, icon on uh, iTunes. And uh, if you subscribe, you'll get all of the messages. Uh, that's why I called my first message, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. We are simply saved by the grace of God. And what I tried to show you last time that Paul says in the first half of that chapter, if you add anything to the gospel, you nullify the whole thing. Yes? 
So he's saying there's no other gospel. If you preach another gospel, you're not preaching the gospel at all. And he, and he, fought, he fought in those uh, initial verses, he fights for two simple things. That we are too sinful to contribute towards our salvation. Remember I said we need rescue. <laughs> we are like drowning people. We need to be saved. We don't need lessons on how to swim. We don't need teaching on how to swim. We need salvation. We need to be rescued out of our state. That's what Jesus does. He's primarily a rescuer before he is a teacher. And then secondly, uh, uh, Paul points us to the fact that we are saved by believing in the finished work of Jesus and nothing else. And so I want to just, by way of introduction this morning, just say that there are distortions of this very simple gospel that are practiced by the church today. And I'm not, I'm not pointing fingers at, at, at non-believers. I'm just saying there are distortions in the church. And I, I would love us to become so, so um, familiar with what is true and what is right that when we see distortions, even in the greater church, that we know what those are and we can identify them and not let them have impact on our lives. So are you with me? Here's the first distortion. Some churches, either implicitly or explicitly, teach this, that you are saved. Have you heard this language? As you surrender your life to Jesus, you are saved. And that includes believing and practicing right behavior. And many evangelical churches make this mistake. So they urge people, give your life to Jesus, surrender your life to Jesus, ask Jesus into your life. And that is right in one sense. It's, it sounds biblical, but can I just make you aware of this? If you emphasize that too much, you nullify and reject the grace of God. Why do I say that? Because what it encourages people to believe is as long as they believe strongly in Jesus, as long as they have a great love for God, as long as they are very committed to God, that pleases Him. So what does that do? It means that you have to generate in your life a high degree of fervor and walk around being very passionate about God all the time and hopping yourself up. And, uh, and uh, when you, uh, you have to show a high degree of repentance to, to let people know that you're really sorry and to let God know that you're really sorry. So what does it do? It actually functionally, although we say that we believe in the grace of God, functionally in our lives, we believe what saves us is a strong conviction, a great love for God, and that we must show commitment to God. Can you see where I'm going with, with this? What it, sa- it says to us and what it teaches us, that our level of performance is what counts, not the finished work of Jesus. And so people work very hard to show that they're saved. <laughs> and what I've been trying to say to you over years now is that when you are saved on the inside... When the grace of God has touched you on the inside, automatically your life changes on the outside because you're just being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you don't have to try very hard because Jesus is doing it on the inside of you. Are you with me? So it's not not the level. That's why I, I, I get disturbed when people say, you need great faith to be healed. And they emphasize faith. You must have faith to be healed. So automatically, what does that mean? It means the attention is on the size of my faith. And actually, the size of my faith has got nothing to do with it. Jesus said, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. 
What is more important than the size of our faith is the object of our faith. Who are our eyes fixed on? Jesus. Our eyes are fixed on Him. That's what is important. Not the size of your faith. Where is your faith? Who is the object of your faith? Amen? So, that's the first thing I want to dispel this morning. It's not the level of your performance. It's the object of, who you, who, who, of, your, of your trust that is the important thing. Jesus is the important thing. All right? Secondly, there are other churches that teach that it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you are a loving and good person. Have you heard that language before? That's a mistake of uh, particularly liberal churches in our culture. And this view teaches that all good people, regardless of their religion or lack of religion, Ultimately, one day, all good people will found God. And on a one, one uh, uh, level, that sounds very open-minded, doesn't it? It sounds very reasonable. And, but actually, when you look at what it says, it actually, again, it's intolerant of grace. It is. It's deeply intolerant of grace in two ways. First, it teaches you that good works are all you need to get to God. So in other words... All good people can find, Jesus, find God, and ultimately that means that the death of Jesus was not really necessary because all it takes to find God is to be good. <laughs> now, you might say that's good news if you're a good person. What about bad people? What about people like me who was a bad person, who was a dirty, rotten scoundrel until I found Jesus? <laughs> well... You see, the gospel says it's not only good news for good people, the gospel is also good news for bad people. That's why it's the gospel, because it's good news for everyone, both whether you think you are good or whether you think you are bad. The gospel is good news for everyone. That's why it's called the gospel. And Jesus, uh, in Matthew 22, verse 10, there's this picture of the king who is throwing this feast and he invites some people, and they don't come to the feast. And so then he says to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, Matthew twenty-two ten. But those who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore into the main roads, and invite to the wedding feast as many as you can find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests, the good news of the gospel is that it's good news for everyone. Everyone. And so it's not ex exclusive. It doesn't just apply to good people. It applies to every single person, and that is good news. And secondly, this view of, um, of seeing the, that, believing that if you're good enough, you'll be saved, what that encourages people to do is to think that if they are tolerant and open, then they are pleasing to God. The main thing is to be tolerant and open. In other words, again, it's I don't need grace. I can get it myself. All that I need to do is be tolerant and open, and that is enough to please God. Well, that's not uh, really what the gospel teaches. If you just remember verse 5 of chapter 1, it talks about the glory going forever to God. And that heaven is filled with people that have been saved by grace. And because they're saved by grace, glory goes forever to God. Forever to God. If we think we are good enough, if we think we deserve salvation, where does the glory ultimately go? It goes to me because actually I'm good enough to deserve salvation. 
And that's what the scripture says in verse 5. It says, all glory goes to God in heaven because he is the one that is worthy to receive glory and honor. All right, so these are very subtle things, but these are things that we need to be aware of. And thirdly, a third example of how the gospel is distorted, it's found in churches that are intolerant of differences in people, intolerant in terms of differences in custom or dress. Uh, and this is what Paul points to the Galatian church. There were teachers within the church who were saying, actually, you need to become more Jewish. It is important how you eat. It is important how you dress. You must observe some Jewish customs in order to please God. And they are trying to impose these rules onto people of how they should live. And so we do have a modern equivalent of that in the, in the church. Highly authoritarian churches where people say, you need to follow these rules in order to please Jesus. Legalism in the church. Don't wear that. Don't do that. Don't dress like that. Don't do That's legalism. That's not the gospel. <laughs> I don't like tattoos, but there's nothing that says you can't have a tattoo. I don't like them. I just think, well, you know, I've, I've been fascinated over the last um, while that people are covering their whole bodies in tattoos. Have you noticed that? You know, the wonderful thing is about fashion. Uh, when I look at some of the pictures of the clothes that I wore in the 70s and the 80s, I looked absolutely ridiculous. So did you. <laughs> but this is the deal. When you know that you look ridiculous, you can change your clothes, can't you? You can go to the charity shop and just give them all away and say, that was a bad experiment. I'm going to wear something else. What are you going to do when you've covered your body in tattoos? How are you going to walk into the charity shop and say, please, uh, can I change the way that I look? This is not the gospel, but I just think it's a little unwise. So if you've got a tattoo, that's, that's okay. But don't cover your whole body because there's going to be a problem in 20 years when you when you want to you can't just trade your body in can you and so there are there are these things in churches where people get legalistic about these things and authoritarian about these things and in a sense that's more that's easier to uh, identify than the first two things that i pointed you to but um paul is incredibly passionate about this and he lays down this thing he says even if i come to you and i preach another gospel let me be condemned. That's what he says. And so why does this all matter? Well, I mentioned two things um, already, and I want to focus just on one thing in particular. There are three simple reasons why this matters. First, we've looked at this already. If we desert the gospel, we desert Jesus himself. That's what it says in verse 6. Uh, to abandon this belief in the gospel is not just a theological thing. It means that you personally abandon Jesus because he is the one that... God has uh, given for us. So it's not just a theological thing. It's how you live your life. Your theology affects how you live. And secondly, we've looked at this as well. Paul says a different gospel is no gospel at all. If you try and revise the gospel in any way, you lose the whole message. But the third thing is what I want to focus on for a brief moment. A different gospel brings condemnation. It brings condemnation. It's so important for us to understand this. If we are living in our lives and uh, adhering to any other gospel other than the gospel of the good news of Jesus, if we are adding anything to the gospel, it brings condemnation in your life. Not only in the fact of eternity, but practically. When you feel a sense of guilt in your life, 
When you feel a sense of anxiety, when you feel a sense of condemnation about anything, it means that at that moment, you are trusting in something else to save you rather than Jesus. And it's good to identify that in your life. Why? Why do I say that? Well, can I just point you to this thing? If we all need money to live, right? If you're incredibly anxious about your financial situation, functionally, you are saying, I believe in money to save me rather than Jesus. I am believing that money is actually the thing that's going to get me out of trouble rather than Jesus. That's, that's what we are really are saying. If we are incredibly anxious about money all the time, it becomes functionally, it becomes our Savior. Are you with me? Jesus says, if you seek first the kingdom, all these things will be added to you. And he says, do not be anxious about anything. That means when you lose your job, it's, I know it's very hard, but we had an amazing testimony the other day of Ryan's, how God just provided a new job for him like that. Do not be anxious about anything, but in all things present your requests to God. Yes? I've seen this as well. So money can be one thing. Sex can be another. People functionally believe that sex is going to save them. What I say, what I say it like that? Well, I've counseled many people who, above all things, have wanted to be married. And it's a, it's a great delight to be married. I'm not, I love marriage. It's a wonderful thing. But if that becomes your Savior, you are trusting in another person to save you, not Jesus. <laughs> and so I've counseled enough people in marriage where there's a tension in their relationship because what has happened? The husband subconsciously has been saying to himself, if I get married, I will be fulfilled. This is what's going to save me, that I get married. And they get married to a wonderful lady who is brilliant. And what do they discover along the way? She can't save him. She's flawed just as he is flawed. Or vice versa. A wife says, if I marry this man, everything is going to be wonderful in my life. And they get married, and after six months they realize, you know what? He's just as flawed as I am. He's not my Savior. Are you with me? Functionally, these things can become saviors to us. And that's why the Bible speaks about idols. They are replace the good news of Jesus in our life. And is it wonderful to be married? Yes, it is. And if you are desiring to be married, I trust that you will be married. But it cannot be your Savior. If you are out of work, I am, I am praying with you that we would, God would provide a job for you that would thoroughly bless you and provide for your family in every way. But it's not the thing that saves us. Jesus saves us. And so we sang this morning, Knowing you, Jesus, there is no greater thing. I trust that will become real for you and real for me as we move forward in our, in our lives. That ultimately the thing is, Jesus, you are my highest treasure. You are the very great reward. And whatever comes in my life and whatever goes in my life, knowing you is the most important thing. I put all my faith in what you have done. So those are the three things. And can, can then... Um, Having said that, just to remind you, because we had a couple of weeks break out of this Galatians uh, series, let's have a look then at verse 10 to 24. And I'm just going to make three little comments out of Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. Paul writing again, and he says, Am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? 
Or am I trying to please man? If I'm still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Jesus. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God so violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age amongst my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him amongst the Gentiles, I did not consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those that were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia, and I returned again to Damascus. And then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, Peter, and remained with him for 15 days. But I saw no one of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And while I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went to the region of Syria and Sicilia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only... They only were hearing it, and they said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Isn't that an amazing thing? And so what I want to just spend a couple of minutes talking to you about this morning is that this testimony of Paul, how he was saved, shows us what the gospel is. It shows us something of what the gospel is. Remember I told you last week, the gospel is not just the ABC of the Christian faith, how you get saved. It is the A to Z of the Christian faith. And as we read this letter, we're going to see over and over again, what does Paul emphasize? I was saved by this gospel. I'm being kept by this gospel. This gospel is transforming me. This gospel will keep me until Jesus comes again. This is the thing that I give all of my life to, this message of Jesus. And so we often encourage people in our meetings to share their testimony, to share what Jesus has done for them. And so here Paul, he's giving his testimony. He's saying, this is how I came to to know Jesus. This is how Jesus found me. And so in doing this, in sharing his testimony, he's also defending those people that are attacking him in Galatia and saying, well, Paul, he doesn't really understand the gospel Paul's message is incomplete. You know, if you go to Jerusalem and speak to the apostles there, you'll find out what the real gospel is. You know, Paul's kind of got it, but he hasn't really got the real gospel. He's only got a portion of the gospel because that's what these Galatians are trying to say. They're trying to undermine the message of Paul. Three things I want you to just notice. Do you notice in that little portion that Paul refutes the idea that he came to believe in Jesus by his own reflection, his own reasoning, his own thinking. Do you notice that he takes time to dispel that myth? He goes to great length to, pull out, to, to, to point out that he was saved and he was a violent, hostile person towards Jesus and the church. Do you notice that? In fact, he says he wanted to destroy the church. He wasn't going through a process in his head of considering all the facts of discussing these things with other people and reasoning and revising his position as he went and thinking himself into the kingdom. Do you notice that? In fact, he says completely the opposite. When Jesus arrested him, he, he, 
he turned 180 degrees and went completely in the opposite direction to what he was going. And so if you read Acts chapter 7, verse 54, there's the account there of Stephen, who's been killed by Jewish people, uh, and he's being stoned to death. And if you read verse um, through to the beginning of chapter 8, it says, As Stephen was being stoned, his clothes were laid at the feet of a young man called Saul, who approved of his death. This is the Saul that gets, the, the, the Paul that gets converted. He's not looking for Jesus. <laughs> He's not thinking about Jesus. He's trying to kill everyone that believes in Jesus. And so when, when he comes and is radically met by Jesus on the road to, to Damascus, he meets the risen Christ. He is, it's not like he's had a prophetic picture of Jesus and he's got this impression and, and he responds to this prophetic picture. No, no. The risen Christ meets him and radically transforms him from a murderer, someone who is killing Christians, to someone who is preaching the gospel. This is the picture of what the gospel does for us. Amen? It radically transforms us. And it transformed Paul into an apostle with a capital A. (laughs) Someone who wrote most of the New Testament. So that's the first thing I want you to notice. Secondly, I want you to notice this. Do you notice that in that portion, Paul refutes the claim that the gospel message was derived from what he had heard from other people, particularly the apostles in Jerusalem, that somehow he had picked up this message of what Jesus had done through what he had heard other people teach and what other apostles had said before him. Remember, he, his, he points out here, he says he didn't consult with any man. He didn't go up to Jerusalem. He says he waits three years between when he was saved to when he went to Jerusalem. And even then, he didn't get any teaching from the apostles. And why does he say that? Simply because there were people in the Galatian church that were saying Paul had got his message wrong, that he hadn't fully understood what headquarters in Jerusalem were teaching. Are you with me? Headquarters. This is what the headquarters are teaching. So he says, no, I wasn't trained by anyone in Jerusalem. I didn't hear anything from Jerusalem. And I have given you the whole story. And the story that I've heard is from Jesus himself. He revealed himself to me and he spoke to me. And the gospel that I preach is what Jesus told me. Man, it's radical. Can you see what I'm trying to say? We do not need to add anything to the gospel that Jesus has told us. We are saved by grace through faith. It is enough. That is the gospel. And we live free. We don't add anything to it. We enjoy other blessings. Like prosperity, we enjoy the blessing of God. Like healing, we enjoy the healing of God. All these things, but they are not added on to the gospel in order to change the gospel. And why do I say that? Because through church history, we've had that over and over again. The gospel plus baptism. Unless you are baptized, you are not saved. That is not the gospel. You're saved by faith in Jesus. What about, and I I, I don't want to, what about a a sacramental view of church? What I mean by that? Well, the Catholic Church teaches this. You are saved by believing Jesus, and you are saved by observing the sacraments, and you are saved as you pray to, to various saints. That is another gospel. That is not the gospel. The gospel says we are saved by faith in Jesus. That is it. Not by doing anything else. All right? I'm very passionate about this. 
Thirdly, and I'm finishing with this. Do you notice that in that portion, Paul shows that the message that Jesus gave him by revelation checked out and was confirmed by the message that was given to Peter, verse 18, and to James, verse 19. You notice that? And so, in a very real sense, Paul is refuting claims by these Galatian teachers. Ah, that's just what Paul thinks. Just ignore Paul. He hasn't really understood the gospel. You really do have to be a Jew to believe this good news of Jesus. It's a, it, Paul is preaching a message, but it's incomplete. Simply his opinion. You know, our opinion is as valid as Paul's opinion. That's what they're trying to say. And so Paul is establishing his authority as we looked at last time. But he's also showing us, he's illustrating in the giving of his testimony, he's illustrating to us what the gospel of grace really is. And this whole letter underpins what the gospel of grace is. And I want to encourage you as we go forward as a church into the new year, that in all of our lives, in our prayers, our thoughts, our witness to others, every area of our lives, we realign ourselves back around the simple, simple truth of the gospel that we are saved by faith, saved by grace through faith. That is it. Adding nothing to that. Why? Well, I want to point you to this. Paul, what was Paul before he was saved? He was a religious man. He was a legalistic man. He was a zealous man. In fact, he was so religious that he killed anybody that opposed his point of view. Do you notice that? That's what religion does. Religion fills you with hatred and wants you to destroy everybody who disagrees with your point of view. Are we not living in a world where religious fanatics are killing people that do not agree with their point of view? Why? Because that's what religion does to you. It fills you with hatred, and, it, and just as Paul was filled with hatred, he wanted to kill everyone that didn't agree with his point of view. And then the grace of God touches him and transforms him. This is a picture of what the gospel is. Can I say to you, it doesn't matter what you have done. <laughs> it doesn't matter how bad you might have been. It doesn't matter if you have uh, um, done anything that is criminal. Paul did what was criminal, and he was saved by grace through his faith in Jesus, and he was radically transformed. That's the good news for you and the good news for me. It doesn't matter where we've come from, what we've done, whatever, however we've messed up in our lives. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus. And because we believe the simple message, there is no condemnation for us that are in Christ Jesus. There is no punishment. What good news. <laughs> now certainly if you've broken a law here on earth, you might have to, you will pay for, you have to pay for that in society. I'm not excuse, I'm not saying we don't have to, you know, if I've done something that deserves to go to jail, then Jesus has forgiven me. There's no condemnation for me, but I might have to go to jail for a short while. Are you with me? But there's no condemnation for us that are in Christ Jesus. This is the good news. So this free unmerited favor of God is the thing that so powerfully works in Paul's heart, and it changes his life. And so I love what Keller says, Tim Keller. He says, no one is so good, 
that they don't need the grace of God. And no one is so bad that they cannot receive the grace of God. Isn't that so wonderful? There's none of us that are so good that we don't, deserve, we don't need the, the gospel of Jesus. And there's none of us that have done anything that's so bad that we cannot receive the grace of God. And so I conclude with this. Paul was deeply religious, but he still needed the gospel. Paul was deeply flawed, but he could still be reached by the gospel. And perhaps you are here today. Perhaps you have tried to do the right religious thing for all of your life. Perhaps you grow, grew up in a religious environment where people said, perhaps your parents said, you go to church every Sunday, pray, read your um, Bible, pay your tithe, and that's going to please God. Now, I'm not saying it's good to do some of those things, <laughs> but that doesn't save you. What saves you is simply believing what Jesus has done. So if you've come from a religious background, I want to encourage you this morning to find the grace of God, to receive the grace of God right now this morning. And the grace of God says, believing in Jesus is all that you need. That's it. It's the fullness of what you need. And other things flow out of that wonderful relationship that you have with Him. But you don't have to be anxious when you miss a time of praying. You don't have to be anxious when you don't read your Bible. Is it good to read your Bible? Yes, it is. <laughs> is it good to pray? Yes, it is. Of course it is good. This is what Christians do. But we can sometimes live with this low level of stress in our lives, isn't it? Oh, I didn't have a quiet time this morning. God is going to be not pleased with me. No. All that we need is in Christ. Amen? And what about perhaps you say this morning, hey, and my life has just been one mistake after another. I've just messed up. I've, I've hurt my parents. I've hurt my kids. I've hurt my wife. I, my life has been a mess. Can I remind you? No one is so bad that the grace of God does not reach you. And perhaps you hear this morning the whole little thing's churning inside of you saying, God, I've just messed up in so many areas. Well, I want to say the grace of God is available to you right now. And he doesn't see those things. All that we need to do is put our faith in Jesus. This is the scandalous news of the gospel. Scandalous good news. You know why it's so scandalous? Because people, why people find it offensive? Because what it requires is absolute humility. <laughs> it just requires us being humble and saying, Jesus, there's nothing I can do to earn my salvation. There's nothing I can do to add to my salvation. All I can do is believe in you. And we, we don't like that as human beings. We, we just don't. We like to feel like we've done something. <laughs> that we've contributed, that we've added, that we, we're worth saving, and that, that we've got something good to contribute in every area of our lives. And actually, it's great humility to say, Jesus, apart from you, I have nothing. But ultimately, our greatest freedom comes when we see that and we live in that, and he begins to add a whole lot of stuff to us anyway. Amen? This amazing grace. I pray that you will reflect on this amazing grace this Christmas season. That you would, for yourself, let it just touch your heart once again. You know, sometimes we celebrate these things year after year after year. 
and familiar familiarity breeds contempt, contempt, doesn't it? We kind of get just so afraid with it that we lose the power of what it's actually saying. Reflect on these things. Maybe go away this week and just ask the Lord to help you in your own life to see where you've been motivated by religion. You've put your faith subtly in the size of your faith or your religious performance. And just realign yourself in your, in your own heart to what Jesus has done for you. It's enough. It's great freedom. Amen? We're going we're gonna to break bread together this morning. And then I'm, I'm going to ask Tim to lead us in that song that we sang about knowing Jesus. It is the greatest thing. Amen? And if you need some prayer, we'll be, uh, there'll be a prayer team to pray for you as we finish. But let's break bread. I'm going to pray. And we're going to align ourselves once again around what Jesus has done for us, around his body broken, around his blood poured out. And we're going to remind ourselves as we break bread that Jesus is enough. It's the gospel plus nothing equals everything. That's the freedom that we enjoy. Amen? So let's pray. Father, I want to thank you once again this morning for the amazing testimony of Paul, how you transformed a, transformed a murderer, a hater of your church, into someone who fearlessly preached the gospel wherever he, he went and ultimately gave his life for the message that he believed. I thank you, Lord, that uh, all of us have a journey that we've enjoying with you. And Lord, we pray that you'd set us free from religion, trying to please you, subtly putting our trust in how well we perform in order to please you. I pray, Lord, you'd do away with these things, that we really, truly, from the inside, would be motivated by pure love, pure devotion to you, the great King, who has done all that is needed. Thank you for the simplicity of the message that we preach, that Christ is enough, that Jesus has done it all. And Lord, I pray that uh, as we break bread again this morning, that you would help us to come with humble hearts as we remember what you've done. Lord, not coming subtly believing that we're contributing anything that is worth saving. That we would simply come humbly knowing that outside of you, we have no good thing. And Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your favor. And I pray, Lord, this morning as we pray together that you'd minister to us by your Holy Spirit, that we might live in the freedom, enjoying the freedom that you've called us to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.